It's one of the deepest, richest, most important books of the Bible, Romans. In this message, join Pastor Chris Chadwick and learn more about what the Bible says in the book of Romans. Would you take your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Romans chapter 1 as we continue our series in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1 in your Bibles this morning. We embarked quite a few months ago, uh, well, I guess three months ago, on a study in the book of Romans, and we have enjoyed it um, uh, quite a bit. It's been a huge blessing for us, and we come to what I'm going to submit to you might be for an expositor. One of the more challenging passages of Scripture in 2021, not because uh, the exposition of the text or figuring out what the text is talking about, that's not it at all, but because of what the text means and what the text says. So you say, well, what do you mean? Well, give it a minute, you'll find out, you'll find out. Now, I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. Uh, act alive today. And some of you are looking at me like, oh, what's he going to say? Well, it'll be worse the quieter you are. So be a little bit engaged. We have studied the book of Romans, and obviously we came to verse number 15, a passage that, or a verse that I found to be very, very helpful. And uh, where Paul says in verse number 15, so as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Uh, Paul had a passionate desire to preach the Bible to the people in Rome and to preach the gospel, I should say, to the people at Rome. And the question would have to be asked, and we did ask it, and we continue to ask it because of all these linking words that are here. Why is Paul so passionate about preaching the gospel in Rome? Well, verse number 15, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Uh, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul is passionate to preach the gospel to the people in Rome, listen to me, because he understands the power of the gospel. What do you mean the power of the gospel? The saving, the word power is the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. The explosive power of the gospel. The apostle Paul is excited or ready. The word ready means with great anticipation, like a runter in the blocks at the start of a race, a sprinter in the blocks at the start of a race. Paul is ready to preach the gospel to the folks who are in Rome because he understands, listen to me, the transformative power of the gospel in the life of every single person on the planet who will accept it. That's what he's referring to. And then we come to verse number 17, and he says he's, he's, he's ready to preach the gospel because he understands therein is the righteousness. In the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith, which is a quote of Habakkuk 2.4. Paul says, I'm ready to preach the gospel because I or be in Rome and to preach the gospel because I understand the power of the gospel and I understand the importance or the priority Verse number 17, of righteous living. I'm ready to preach the gospel because I know the power that it has to change lives. And I know the priority that God places on righteous living. 
I don't have time to go preach those two verses because they took me an hour each one, which would put us getting out of here at 2 o'clock, and we're already behind schedule. So we're not going to do that. But we need to understand that Paul's ready because of the power of the gospel, the priority of righteous living. He then makes this counterculture transition into verse number 18. Now, I, I will tell you, there's a little bit of debate. Is verse number 18 an answer to verse number 15 or is it not? I'm going to tell you, I think it probably is. Why am I ready to come to Rome and to preach the gospel? Because I understand the power of the gospel. I understand the priority of the gospel. And really, verse number 18, because I also understand the judgment of God that's going to be on the person who rejects the gospel. It's not simply an issue of the power of the gospel. It's not simply an issue of prioritizing righteous living. But there is a tremendous amount that Paul is putting into this message, into this passage through the Holy Spirit of God guiding his words about the judgment of God on folks who reject the gospel. Matter of fact, it's going to be a very extended passage that we will look at over a period of time about the condemnation of mankind all the way to chapter 3, verse number 20. Maybe the longest singular issue in the entire book of Romans from chapter 1, verse number 18, all the way through to chapter 3, verse number 20 is this overarching discussion about the condemnation of man. And he starts this off. Why am I ready to preach the gospel in Rome? Because I understand the power of the gospel. Because I understand the priority of righteous living. And because of the reality, verse number 18, of the wrath of God. The wrath of God. Just that phrase elicits interesting, normally scary thoughts. I did an informal informal survey with people that say they love Jesus. They all work at Canyon Ridge. And I just said, first words that come to your mind, nothing's right, nothing's wrong. What is the first thought that you have when I say wrath of God? These were the answers. I just did four people because I got scared after number four and didn't want to go any further. Hell. Okay, I would agree. Yeah, I would see that. Flaming swords. The guy who played the guitar said, I think of flaming swords when I think of the wrath of God. It's like, bro, you went to too many circuses. But whatever, flaming swords. Judgment, judgment. And then Bernie, the guy who led the music, been here forever, he goes, tribulation period. Wow, he really did get the wrath of God. And then he quoted like 12 Bible verses, and that's why I ended the discussion. Wrath of God. One commentator says this, the idea of a wrathful God goes against the wishful thinking of fallen human nature and is a stumbling block to many Christians. Much contemporary evangelicalism only talks about the abundant life in Christ, the joy and blessing of salvation and the peace with God that faith in Christ brings. And all of those benefits are true and all of those benefits are wonderful, but they are not the whole picture of God's plan of salvation. The corollary truth of God's judgment against sin 
And though the, the, the corollary truth of, of all of those blessings, the plan of salvation, the walk of faith, the picture of God, the peace with God, the, the mercy and all of that, the corollary truth is God's judgment against sin and those who participate in sin will face his judgment. And since the time of Greek philosophers, the idea that God would elicit wrath on people has been rejected it's incompatible with, say they, enlightened understanding of deity. In second, in the second century Christian heretic, a guy named Marcion, omitted God from verse number 18. He translated this verse this way, for the wrath is revealed. He removed God. He didn't want God to be a part of it. And in our day, modern day theologian C.H. Dodd is a representative of those who have rejected or drastically modified the reality of God's wrath. They criticize the conception of a God who personally exercises wrath as their words, archaic. He says, says C.H. Dodd, that the wrath of God is no more than an inevitable process of cause and effect in a moral universe. But such a, such a conception of God has more in common with the Greek philosophers than it does a biblical presentation of the Lord. In, person, in truth, a person cannot appreciate the wonder of God's grace until they understand the perfect demands of God's law. You cannot understand the magnitude and the wonder and the amazement of grace. It's not amazing if you, that we sing about. It's, grace is not amazing if you don't understand the demands of God's law. Mercy means nothing if you don't know what you're being shown mercy from or for. One cannot know the full extent of love until they know the fierceness of God's anger against sinful folks who willfully disobey him, who willfully reject him. I was talking this week to a man I've been witnessing to for eight years, getting ready to have surgery and it's a scary surgery, no doubt. It really is. I was shocked by it. And uh, he's just, if, if you want to say, what is a Californian? His picture is probably next to what everybody in the world thinks of a Californian. A guy who, you know, started surfing at seven, lived on the beach, by, literally lived on the beach when he was 13. And just all of his life, he just all about the water, all about the ocean, all about San Diego, just loves it. Loves it and came over to my house, asked me to help him with something. I went and helped him with something. And that's when he told me he was having surgery. And he looked right at me and, and he, calls me, he calls me his preacher. When he walks inside the house, he'll say to the person he's living with, he'll say, hey, our preacher's over here. And it's, it's like I'm his personal one, which I, I take as a term of endearment. I love it. No problem there. But he looked right at me and he goes, he goes, I don't know why this, and he's having major cancer surgery. He goes, I don't know why this has happened to me. I've never done anything wrong in my whole life. Well, being a preacher, I'm not going to agree with that statement because I can't. And I've witnessed to him for eight years. And so I looked at him and I said, nothing? 
Because, I mean, I wanted to drill down. Like, nothing? Like, you don't think? He goes, no. He said, even the rodents that I catch in my backyard, I let them go. He does. I kill them. They're in my yard. He lets them go right into my yard. And I was like, please stop doing that. He goes, no, I let everything go. I've never killed anything. God is okay with me. And I said, do you know what you're talking about? I said it very kindly. And he goes, this is what he said. He goes, do I? <laughs> and I looked at him and go, no, you don't. I love you, but no. And he, he's like, what do you mean? I said, well, what's the standard of goodness? And he goes, I don't have any idea. Now, we've talked about this many times, but I, he didn't remember. And so I, we started listing the Ten Commandments. And we went through all of them that I could remember. So three of them. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. We got through a lot of them. And at the end of it, I said, you're guilty of every sin. And we talked about it. I said, are you guilty of that? He goes, oh, dude, I'm guilty of that. Are you guilty of that? He goes, oh, dude, I'm guilty of that. Are you guilty of that? Oh, dude, I'm guilty of that. He goes, but I haven't murdered. I said, I like it when people that I love haven't murdered people. That's good. I said, but, but Jesus said, if you've ever had hatred in your heart, that's the same as murder. That's the standard by which you will be judged. He said, well, I haven't hated anybody. I don't hate. You're not supposed to hate. I said, well, have you ever wanted to punch anybody really bad in the face or run anybody off the road? And I've seen you drive, so don't lie. He says, what he said, he goes, bro, it can't mean that. I'm like, bro, it does. He goes, dude, I am guilty of everything. I said, yeah, we all are. We all are. Our failure to, oh, you say, did he get saved? Not yet. We're going to keep working. We're going to keep working, praying. I hope you'd pray with me for him. We're going to keep praying, keep working, tried to witness to him, took him a book by. I'm just going to keep working at it. The wrath of God is revealed. What is the word wrath? The, wrath is, the word wrath is the Greek word orge. It means divine judgment to be inflicted on the wicked. It is settled, determined indignation. It's not the momentary or emotional or uncontrolled anger to which human beings are prone. The uncontrolled emotional anger to which human beings are prone is the Greek word thumos. It is a different word entirely than this word wrath. This word wrath is divine judgment. It is settled. It is determined indignation. Let me put it this way. It's all Already determined what the wrath will be. God's not up in heaven going, okay, what's the punishment that fits the crime? No, no, no. It's already settled. This idea is very clear. Romans 3, 5. Take a second and turn over to the right there, if you would. The Bible says, but if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance who taketh, now there's an understood the here in the, in the Texas Receptus, the original Greek language, the word the is here, the definite article the. So it's, it, it, we, we could read it this way. Is God unrighteous who taketh the orge, who taketh the vengeance, who taketh the settled, determined indignation, the divine judgment inflicted on the wicked? Is God unrighteous for taking vengeance? It's rhetorical. Of course, God is not. That's what he says in verse number six. God forbid. No, God is not unrighteous for taking judgment. No, God is not wrong for, for taking judgment on the wicked. No, this is a very act of God. It's his divine, settled, determined wrath. 
Now, God's attributes are held in perfect balance. We know that. If he had no anger and wrath, he could not be God. If he had no gracious love, he could not be God. They are perfectly balanced. He's not one gram out of balance ever. God perfectly hates and God perfectly loves. He perfectly hates unrighteousness, which is evil. He perfectly loves righteousness. Even of our Lord in the Psalms, the psalmist wrote in Psalm chapter 2, which is what's called a messianic psalm, a psalm about Jesus. It says, kiss the son lest he be angry with thee and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are they that put their trust in him. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 9, talking about the Lord, thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And Paul is writing here. There's an application here that needs to be clear and probably conversations that need to be had in the courtyard about this point. Now, Paul is writing and his writing can seem to some harsh and people have this opinion so often that it's the job of the pastor and the church to be nice. Nice means pleasing, agreeable, delightful, pleasant. Nice people tell you what you want to hear. They literally work to find out what you want to hear. And then they tell you whatever you want to hear. And that's, by and large, that's the church in America today. What, what do you want to hear about? You, you can go to maybe a liberal church that has a liberal political viewpoint. They'll talk about that. You can go to a conservative church that has a conservative viewpoint politically. And they'll talk about that. And, and, and it doesn't matter, liberal or conservative. The, the issue that is going on here is that people have a desire to hear what they want to hear, independent of the word of God. And that's all that they want to hear. And nice people will tell them that. So if you want to hear that, man, there's a champion inside you, great, you're awesome. Or you want to hear that you can do be anything that you want to be, they'll tell you that. Be all you can be at the local church. Well, you can't be all that you want to be. I'm 5'11", 275, 48 years old. The other day, I wanted to be six foot four and 220 with the same level of strength, and I wanted to be 33 years old. As much as I try, I can't ever be that. I can't be all that I want to be. I'm, I'm slow, comparatively. I'm slow. I'm never going to be fast. Be all that you can be. We'll tell you, inside there's a champion. Dream big. Fulfill your dreams. Believe you can fly. Try it. You'll do it. That's a lie. You say, you really believe it's a lie? Yes. R. Kelly can believe he can fly, but dude's in prison today. He ain't flying anywhere. Got too many jokes for a message on wrath. Come back next week. Why, why, why are people nice? Because the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, 2 Timothy 4, 3. But after their own lusts will they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. We'll just get somebody that tells us what we want. If you don't tell us what we want, we'll either leave or make you leave. We'll just go to a different church until they tell us what we want. And as long as they tell us what we want, we'll keep going. But as soon as you say something that we don't like, we're out of here. And matter of fact, we're going to call you bad words. And you're a narcissist for preaching the truth. Just be nice. 
But you know, God hasn't called me to do that. Matter of fact, the call of God in my life is the exact opposite, though I would rather be nice. It's in my nature to be nice. I'm the nicest of all my siblings. My sister's moving here on Thursday, and her and her husband will be on staff. She'll run our children's ministry. My sister's moving here, and you'll find out very quickly that I am the nicest Chadwick on the planet. We do have our family reunions at prison, but um, God has not called me to be nice. God has called us to be kind. The Apostle Paul is being kind here. The word kind means gracious, kind-hearted. It implies a sympathetic attitude towards others, but a willingness to do good. It implies a deep-seated characteristic shown either habitually or on occasion by considerate, truthful behavior. Paul said to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 7, whereof I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ. I lie not. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. He said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 15, but speaking the truth in love. This is a loving passage. Why is it a loving passage? Because it is an honest passage about the character of God. God's wrath. We see a couple of qualities of the wrath of God here. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. We see the timing of God's wrath is revealed. There is an eschatological implication. Now, if you're new to church or you don't learn nine-syllable words, you're normal, don't feel bad. Eschatological just means the end of days or end times. Eschatology is the study or the doctrine of the end times. So the eschatological period is referred to here. The wrath of God is revealed. The wrath of God will be fully and finally revealed on the, what the Bible calls the day of wrath. Romans chapter 2, verse number 5, the scripture says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 10 says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Turn over with me to the right of your Bible, if you feel comfortable doing so, to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 10. 2 Peter is almost towards the end of the Bible. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 10. The Bible says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, 2 Peter 3, 10, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in? All holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the, of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. There's going to come a time when the wrath of God is fully and finally revealed on this earth. It's the day of wrath. You say, well, when will that be? We don't know. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches that we're supposed to live as though it could happen at any moment. That all the things orchestrated could happen at any moment, and there is an eschatological implication to the idea of the day of wrath. But don't think this is all about the future. There's also an immediate implication. Look at the word back in Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. 
The word reveal literally means to remove a veil or covering, exposing to open view what was hidden before, to make manifest or to reveal something previously secret or unknown. It's almost like a Christmas present that you you wrapped up for your kids so that they can't see it. And on the day that they get to open the presents, they, they run down the stairs or they run into the living room, wherever you have your presents out of your tree or whatever, and you give them a present and they, they unveil it. It is revealed to them what you purchased for them. Another pair of socks. They're, they, they're excited about it because it's revealed to them. They have opened up that which was previously hidden. The wrath of God is revealed. The the wrath of God, let me say it this way, has been on constant display for mankind all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way back to the beginning of days. The wrath of God was revealed in the days of Noah when he destroyed all mankind at the flood except for eight people. Several generations after Noah, God showed his wrath when he came down and he confused people who were trying to build an idolatrous tower to heaven at the Tower of Babel. And he confused them with a divergence of language and gave them a variety of tongues whereby they could not understand one another. God's wrath was revealed. In the days of Abraham, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot and his family barely escaping because of their grotesque sins the four that are listed in the book of Ezekiel. God destroyed Pharaoh and his army in the sea as they pursued the Red Sea, as they pursued the nation of Israel, trying to bring them back to the land of Egypt. We could go on and on and on about what God did, pouring out his wrath on his own people, the nation of Israel against King Nadab for being evil in the sight of the Lord against Aaron and Mary and Moses' brother and sister. And to be quite candid with you, this wrath is revealed in the New Testament too. That beloved, wonderful, sweet, amazing verse that is called by many people the anthem of the Bible, John 3, 16, where the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, and then here comes the wrath, should not perish. Perish? is spoken of both physical and eternal death. And the very word is is defined as one of future punishment. Well, Pastor, I thought Jesus was just super loving and he gave everybody kind of what they wanted. Yeah, that's what a lot of people have thought. And it's rather unfortunate because it's really nice that you've heard that. And that makes you feel good and makes you even you know, buy an angel at a Hallmark store. But to be super candid with you, it does nothing for you spiritually. I mean, I, I've talked to folks, I talk to folks all the time about the gospel, and I've had people say, oh, no, 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 I know that I'm saved. I know that, I know that I'm saved. I have a family Bible that great-grandma gave me. I have a picture of an angel in my house. I went to church when I was a kid. 
And the Bible is super clear about this. You say, well, John 3.16, come on, that's just one verse. Well, if you were to look down 20 verses, you'd come to John 3.36 in the same passage. And he says, the scripture says this, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The orge of God, the settled, determined response, the settled, determined punishment of God is already, it's a present active tense verb, is already abiding on that individual. You say, no, no, it will abide. No, 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 no. It's already abiding. And it's not me trying to be unkind. It's not me trying to be kind. Paul is focusing on the present state of God's wrath in verse number 18. Romans 9, 22, he continues, what if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction? Paul even warned the church at Corinth, either you get your heart right, you stop rejecting Christ, you turn from your sin, both believer and unbeliever, but primarily in 1 Corinthians 16, he's, he's talking to, in 1 Corinthians 16, he's talking in some ways to believer, people who profess to be believers but really weren't. And he says in verse number 22, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. The idea of that is let him be finally and fully judged. You say, what? Why don't you just skip this passage? It did cross my mind. But because we are a Bible-preaching church, that 18 years ago when we started, I said, we'll go verse by verse through books of the Bible, and we will not skip the hard ones or the easy ones. I will tell you, I prefer the easy ones. I prefer you getting all excited and laughing and shouting amen and walking out of here going, man, that was great. I can tell you this. Nobody said that this morning in the great 30 service. Not only do we see the timing of God's wrath, we also see the source of God's wrath. Verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Again, when we think of wrath, we think momentary, emotional, blow up, yell, scream, get your way, that the thumos that, that human beings are prone to. That's what we think. That's why when folks think of the wrath of God, they bristle at it because you're really thinking about yourself. You're really thinking about who you are. As do I. I mean, that's what we do. We're like, oh, wrath of God. We associate God's anger with our anger. Failing to understand this word, orge, failing to understand God's wrath, that it's divine judgment inflicted on the wicked, that it's settled, that it's determined indignation. Again, not a new concept to the Apostle Paul. It's throughout his writings. And there are two ways that God reveals his wrath to mankind. There is the, the, the moral physical order that we see the source of God's wrath. God built moral and physical laws that govern our world and our universe. If, if, if a person were to jump off of a house, they're going to fall to the ground. That's God's physical order. Unless you're bizarre, 
You don't jump off a house and hit the ground and go, how'd that happen? You understand things that are up go down. They fall. Gravity is the physical order of God. So too is God's moral order. We we ought not be surprised when you violate God's moral order that the consequences are equally, if not substantially, more devastating. It's already described. It's already determined. Don't think that you can view porn and it not have an effect on you. Don't think that you can view porn and go, man, this will, be, this, this will satisfy my needs. No one will know. This won't have any effect on my life. Dear friends, that's just not the case. God's moral order says that the wages of sin is death. Don't think you can hook up on Friday night with somebody and there not be drastic consequences. Don't think you can get lit up on Saturday night and there not be drastic consequences. You say, no, no, Pastor, I just want to rock and roll all night and party every day. Okay, you can do that, but understand there are consequences to that behavior and it's not like God's up in heaven going, I'm going to nail them for doing that. No, folks, it's already settled. It's already determined. I talked to somebody one time who'd been committing adultery. They were just a total loser. He said, I can't believe you said loser in church. Okay, they were a total loser. And in talking to them, they're like, I can't believe this is happening. Really? You thought this would be okay? Because they were supposed to be a believer. I've talked to people who who have just ravaged their life with the sin of gossip and bitterness and hatred and variance and emulation and strife. All these big words to say, they're just not a good Christian and their life is turned upside down and they're like, I can't believe this is happening. No, no, the wrath of God is revealed because of the physical moral order of God. It's already described and it's true for everyone. Nobody in this room gets to jump off a building and fly. You don't float down from a building. And some of us go faster. Or we reach terminal velocity faster. But we all fall. The physical, moral order of God. And then we see God's direct intervention. God had not set the world in order as said the theological deist and just wind the clock up and let the world go as it will. And when the world unwinds, the world is over. That is not at all how God created the world. His wrath is executed exactly according to his perfect will. Several Hebrew words convey convey this highly personal characteristic of God. The Old Testament, which is written in Hebrew. You have the Hebrew word hirah, which is used 91 times. It refers to becoming heated or burning with fury and is frequently used of God. A great example of that is Genesis 18.30. 
Heiran, similar, is used 41 times. It refers exclusively to divine anger, and it means a burning or a fierce wrath. You could read about that in Exodus 15, 7. In Deuteronomy 134, we see the Hebrew word katsaf, which means bitter. It's used 30, 34 times, and it most often refers to God. Hema uh, is the fourth word, which refers to a venom or a poison, and it's associated with God's jealousy, and we see that in 2 Kings 22, verse number 13. The word zima is the word indignation. It means to foam at the mouth. It's used 21 times in the Old Testament and most often used of God's wrath. We read about that in Psalm 711 where it says, God judgeth the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. God is zema at the wicked every day. Uh, Every day it's God's wrath. Every day God is foaming at the mouth. God is angry with wickedness every day. In the New Testament, it's not devoid of this teaching at all. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 6, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receives, or receiveth. The source of God's wrath is from heaven. We also see in this text the recipients of God's wrath against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Word all is that little Greek word pos, it means totality. So the wrath of God is revealed or seen from heaven. That's the source against two, against the totality of ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God's wrath is universal, No amount of goodwill, no amount of giving, no amount of charitable contribution will ever be enough to exclude someone from God's wrath. We're not naive. Some are certainly more moral than others, but the best of men are men at best. Everyone is included in this passage. I'm included. You're included. We're all included in this passage. Everyone is a part of this. And to compare the goodness of man to the perfectness of God is like asking you to long jump between Ocean Beach and Hawaii. We could go out to the beach today and we could have you start and some folks, they wouldn't even be able to jump. Like as soon as they, they get ready to explode, something's going to break. They're going to go to explode and just a hip's going to fall out. And there we are doing surgery on the beach. They can't jump at all. Some folks would be able to jump a few feet, two, three, four feet maybe. Some folks, maybe they're young and athletic and they haven't lost their knees to service of the country. And they might be able to jump 15-ish feet. Really good athletes would be able to jump 20 plus feet. And if you're world class, you could jump about 28 feet, seven and three quarter inches. I mean, if you're really, really good, top notch, world class, 28 feet. I don't know if you know what that means, but you didn't even break the surf. Much less get to Hawaii. And God says, you got to get to Hawaii. And so you say, well, man, I'm way farther than the guy whose hip broke as soon as he tried to jump or the guy that only made a few feet. I'm way more moral. I got way farther than them. Yeah, but you didn't make it to Hawaii. You didn't even get close to Hawaii. You didn't even get close to San Diego Bay. 
What's the analogy that I'm trying to make? That there is zero probability, there is zero opportunity, there's no chance in this world that you could ever be good enough to earn the, the, the favor of God. No, all men are sinners. All men will face the wrath of God. Well, I did not come here to hear somebody tell me that. I'm just trying to be kind. It's just the wrath of God. Folks, it's not the wrath of the pastor. It's not the wrath of Chris Chadwick or Bernie Lund or the, a Baptist church. or It's not the wrath of, of Linda Vista. No, it's the wrath of God. The second emphasis on the nature of God's wrath is it is not indiscriminate. And this is what I mean by that. Sin-tainted anger of man does not care who it hurts. Sin-tainted anger of man will rob a house and take somebody's life savings that they were saving to retire or for a medical procedure or for a trip around the world that they've been saving their whole life. And, and sin-tainted wrath doesn't care about that. They want what they want in the moment. Sin-tainted sin wrath does, does not care who it hurts or, 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 or who it leaves in its wake. But God's wrath is, is very, very precise God's wrath is reserved and judiciously directed at sin. Notice what he says against all ungodliness. Well, what does ungodly mean? It means wicked, a lack of reverence towards God, wickedness in general. It's neglect or violation of God's uh, uh, of duty toward God, our, our neighbor or ourselves, joined with and springing from an impiety or a lack of reverence towards God. It's just really saying, I don't care what God says. I don't care what God wants me to do. I don't give a rip. I'm doing my own thing. That's ungodliness. Oh, the Bible says, love your husbands, love your wives. I don't care what it says. I'm doing my thing. It's more important what I do. That's why Paul told Timothy in that little pastoral epistle in Titus chapter, or Titus rather, in Titus chapter two, verse number 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We need to deny ungodliness. Why? Because there's a lack of piety. There's a lack of reverence towards God that is deep-seated in every single one of us. He's saying it to the preacher, Titus. And then he goes on, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Unrighteousness, what is not conformable with justice? What ought not be that which is wrong? And unrighteousness encompasses the idea of ungodliness, but focuses on its result. Sin first attacks God's majesty, then it attacks God's law. We looked at this last week. Sin first starts in the mind and says, I don't care what God says, I'm going to do what I want to do. It attacks God's authority, God's majesty, God's rule, God's reign, God's power. And then it acts out. It starts with ungodliness. It's led to unrighteousness. 
you, you start having that like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on the computer. I don't care what God says. I'm going to go to this Pornhub website. I don't care what God says. I know what I need. I know what I should do. It, it, it would be this way. I, uh, I, 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 I got to talk to somebody. And so we start to gossip. I don't care what God says. I just got to tell somebody. I don't care what God says. So I got to hear it, listen to it, act on it. I'm talking to believers here for a minute. And that's just ungodliness. It starts in the mind. And then it works its way out. It plays its way out into unrighteous behavior. Ungodliness unavoidably leads to unrighteousness. Those are the recipients of God's wrath. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. And then it finishes with the cause of God's wrath who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Pastor, why why would we talk about this for so long? Because we live in a world that is devoid of teaching about the wrath of God. We live in a world devoid of teaching about the wrath of God. I grieved when I hear people say things to me like, oh, pastor, I just know God has so many good things for me. I can't wait till he brings them to me. Does he? I mean, if you're ungodly and unrighteous, he does not have good things in store. I'm just biding my time until they come my way. As though God's up in heaven just going, you know, 2022 is going to be your year. Just hold out. We're going to give it to you. We're just waiting. Just get in line. Stay in line. No, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth. What is truth? Unveiled reality. That which is seen. Unrighteousness is such a part of our nature that we are deposed. We have a predisposition. To view God's truth as something that is wrong. Something that is bizarre. This is not intended to be political or hurtful. But our, our, our culture is so far gone that we now live in a country that uses taxpayer dollars to tell people of one gender, if they don't like their gender, that God made them. God's, the Bible says it male and female created he them. That we will say, we'll just pay for you to become another gender. And, and to have a pastor stand up and say, no, that's not only not right, that is unhealthy and hurtful in the long run and will cause grave damage on your life, on your heart, on your emotions. I mean, tr- 
transitioning people are 17 times more likely to commit suicide. We don't want you to do that. We, we would plead with you, find your hope and rest in God. Don't go there. And our society says, if you preach that message, you are a hateful person. No, no, no. I'm a kind person. Well, shouldn't you love everybody? Absolutely. I love you enough to speak truth to you in Christ's love and open up my arms and my house and my home and my finances and help you any way that I can. But I cannot lie to you and tell you this is a good thing. Why? Because the unveiled reality of it. The truth is not unrighteous. I'm not going to hold the truth of God as though it's something that is bad. Pastor, you, you think we shouldn't have sex till we're married? No, no, I know you shouldn't have sex till you're married. Well, what gives you the right to say that? Nothing intrinsically, just the word of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 19, the scripture says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? The flesh is an enemy of the spirit of God. That's what's going on in Galatians chapter 5. That our flesh, that our nature, our human nature is the enemy of God. Now the works of the flesh, the works of ourself are manifest or seen in this way. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, just, just sexual perversion is what verse 19 is talking about. Idolatry, worshiping of idols, worshiping of cars, worshiping of careers, worshiping of children. It doesn't matter what it is. Idolatry is putting anything in front of God. Idolatry, witchcraft. Oh, I wouldn't do that. Dungeons and dragons. Oh, I might be standing alone here, but I'm comfortable. I'll stand on this soapbox for the rest of my life. Oh, I don't think it's that big a deal. That's why we're talking about it. It is a work of the flesh. Witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envying, murders, drunkenness, reveling, of such and such like. Here's what Paul ends the, the works of the flesh passage with in Galatians 5. He goes, it's just stuff like this. It's kind of like he's saying this. I could keep going, but I don't. I'm running out of ink here. They haven't invented big pens yet. I got no more papyrus to write on. I got to finish this thing up. Such like, things like this. As I told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, he doesn't really mean that. No, he really means that. He really means that. Who will hold the truth in unrighteousness? And look at verse number 19. Well, what does he mean? Well, verse number 19. Because that which, we'll, we'll study this in the future, but we've got to get a little bit of a context here because it's semicolon, not a period. So he's continuing a thought. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. Why is the wrath of God? Well, because God has revealed himself to mankind. It is manifest. That means made known to them. For God has showed it unto them for the invisible things of him, of God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen. 
clearly seen. And I said, well, what do you mean? Well, all you have to do is to go outside and look, and it's like, oh, that got there because somebody put it there. You came in here, you sat on a seat, and you didn't think it, but you knew it, that somebody put the seat here. This building. Nobody's ever said to me, hey, pastor, when did that building appear? Well, what do you mean? When did it just appear? No, no, they built it in 1961. There was a lot of men that built this, and here's the architect's name, and this is what he was building. It has 12 walls, and he built one for every disciple and every tribe in Israel. And you say, what do you think of it? Dude was smoking. (laughs) He had a mushroom factory in his backyard. I don't know what I'm thinking about it, but this is, you know, it was built because it's here. The creation of the world is clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even God's eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You reject God, which you have the total freedom to do. You have free will. You can reject God all you want, but you cannot say he did not make himself known to you. You cannot say, I, I don't know what he meant. No, he is very, very clear because verse number 21, when they knew God, when God revealed himself to them, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain or empty in their conversation and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now, how foolish did they become? Well, they changed the glory of God into incorruptible I'm sorry, they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Man created images that he worshipped, which is really a thought that man is worshipping himself. I can create my own gods. It's really a philosophical statement that says, I am my own God. Wherefore, God gave them up to uncleanness. He gave them up. You want to act that way? Fine, do your own thing. Here's what we call this. Listen to me. The restraining grace of God is removed on the people who reject God. What do you mean the restraining grace of God? God keeps us from doing stupid stuff. And the restraining grace of God is removed. God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, because they worship their own man-made gods, for this cause, God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women to change the natural use into that which is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one towards another, one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of the error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness and fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers. That the product of this is gossiping, murdering, envy, covetousness, Haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Without understanding. 
covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which do such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but watch it on the internet. But listen to gossip on the phone. Malign people behind their back. Whispers. Inventors of evil things. They just invent, they just invent evil things. I'm, I'm not old by any means. I'm 48. Which is way younger than a lot of you. And way more mature than the rest of you. I will not call myself old yet. But I have, my daughters are in their 20s. And I remember this happening when I was a kid, when I was younger. I've said things and my daughter, Judith and Nellie are like, oh, dad, you can't say that. Why? Oh, you don't know what that means. Okay, well, tell me what it means. Uh, Well, we would rather not tell you. So then I have to go to the urbandictionary.com or whatever. And I look it up and I'm like, that means that? Are you serious? I just wanted cereal. I didn't know Fruit Loops were like that anymore. Slow roller, sorry. inventors of things that are evil. The wrath of God. God holds all men accountable for the basic truth and deliberate rejection of his truth. To turn willfully against God is to move from light into darkness. To turn willfully from God's truth is to turn from light to darkness. The blindness that follows is self-imposed. You turn from God's light into darkness. The blindness that follows is of your own will and your own making. God's revealed himself. Said to the nation of Israel in the book of Ezekiel, turn you, turn you, turn you from your evil ways. Why would you die, O house of Israel? But they kept turning into wickedness. Unrighteous, ungodly people, they pervert the truth. They turn that which is true into false. Their wickedness suppresses the truth. They know the truth, but they just don't want to admit to it. They don't want to submit to it. It could be peer pressure. One of the things I found out is that peer pressure doesn't die when you graduate from high school. or college, or you've been in your career 28 years. Peer pressure is there, and people just, I don't want to offend little Jane Doe, who's the world's biggest gossip, so I'll just keep listening to her, letting her infect and infuse and abuse my marriage, my relationship, my children, my walk with God. And then we go, what in the world is going, not self-imposed.
I, I don't know why I don't like my wife anymore. I, I, I'm just trying to give some, some application here. I, I don't know why I don't find my wife attractive anymore. Well, bro, you've been viewing porn for months. You willfully walked into the darkness and now you're going, I don't know why I can't see. There's no light there. There's nothing to see there. All that is there is destructive. Willful blindness. Well, I, I can't see God in creation because you don't want to see God in creation. And when God reveals himself, because Psalm 19.1 is very clear, the heavens declare the glory of God. Atheists were rampaging a small village in the British Isles in the 1800s. And they came to the pastor of a local church and they said, we're going to burn down everything here so that none of this will remind you of God. He looked at them and he said, then please pull down the stars because the heavens declare the glory of God. He said, what did they do? They left. They didn't have a long enough rope. They pervert the truth. They turn the truth into falsehood. Wickedness suppresses the truth. They know it, but they keep it locked away. Well, the question is then, how do I escape the wrath of God? Well, John chapter 3, verse number 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Put your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone and you will not perish. It's not Jesus plus your efforts. It's not Jesus plus your works. It's not Jesus plus being a good dad or a good mom or a good citizen. Though all of those things are awesome and as Christians we ought to do them. They're wonderful, but they will not merit eternal life. That's, we've been talking about that. God's wrath is already settled and the only thing that you can do to remove yourself from the wrath of God is humbly throw yourself at his feet asking him to forgive you of your sin because the wrath of God is most clearly seen when Jesus was on the cross and when Jesus was on the cross, all of God's wrath for all time was poured out on Christ. The Bible literally says, it, it uses this imagery, like all of God's wrath is in a, in a giant vat. And when Jesus was on the cross, God poured all of his wrath on Christ. And he who knew no sin, the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He didn't become just a picture of sin. No, no, no. All sin of all mankind for all time was placed on Christ. Your sin and mine. And he is the propitiation, the Bible says, for our sin. And not for ours only, but also the sin of the whole world. The word propitiation means he is the substitutionary payment. See, your sin had to be paid for. The wrath of God has to be satisfied. We sang about it earlier. The wrath of God has to be satisfied. And it can only be satisfied in one of two ways. You can suffer in hell, separated from God for all eternity... Or you can accept the free gift of Christ's forgiveness because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. 
And anyone who will realize they've sinned, we use the word repent, and it just means to acknowledge that you have sinned against God. If you will repent of your sin and trust only Jesus to save you, he promises to do exactly that. Why? Because the big idea of this verse is when you reject God's truth, you will face God's wrath. When you reject God's truth, you will face God's wrath. Reject the truth, face the wrath. Well, pastor, I don't want to face the wrath. Then don't reject the truth. Submit to the truth. Be transformed by the truth. Surrender to Jesus. This motivated the Apostle Paul to preach the gospel to folks in Rome because he knew they would stand before the Lord. And it motivates me to preach to you because you will stand before the Lord just as I will. We all will. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.